In the opening of chapter 2, Paul makes a defense of his ministry among the Thessalonians, and he writes in verse 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or uncleanness, nor is it made with guile. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Apparently there were some opponents of the gospel who were claiming that Paul was speaking error, that he didn't understand God's truth, that he was misusing the Bible. That's the reference to error. But he also talked about uncleanness, And this must have been a reference to immorality. He said, our appeal was not based on immorality. Why that? Because among the pagan religions, there was much immorality. Religious prostitution was characteristic of many of the religions of that day. And it's pretty clear that Paul must have been accused of some of this sensuality. But in addition to error or uncleanness, Paul mentions guile, that his appeal did not spring from guile. That has to do with deceit. Paul is telling them that his preaching didn't originate with a desire to delude people or to have impurity. It was conducted in an atmosphere of truth. Leon Morris, in his commentary on Thessalonians, comments that wandering philosophers and orators resorted to all manner of devices to attract people and so to get their money. Paul didn't do that. He worked whenever he went and preached. Now, are you aware that the Bible never mentions Paul taking up a collection except for the believers in Judea when they experienced a famine? He would not contaminate the message with an appeal for money, and for good reason. He wanted to be different from all other preachers and the philosophers of his day. Now, Paul's answer to such charges follows in verse 4, where he writes, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. He tells us here that God approved him and entrusted the message to him. It was from God himself, not a message with error. Paul didn't preach his own ideas. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak what he spoke. His message had its origin with God. Now, Peter attested to this because he referred to Paul's epistles as being Scripture. Then Paul said he was not in his preaching trying to please men. That implies that other religious speakers were doing that very thing. They were saying things that would tickle the ears of the hearers. Religion has always been that way. Men have gone into pulpits and said that which would appeal to people and bring them back the next week. But Paul had no reason to please men. He had no obligation to any man since he was not trying to build a base for financial support. He had no reason to employ trickery in order to obtain money. Paul wrote in his second epistle to the Corinthians why he preached without cost. 
He wanted to expose men who served themselves, not God. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 7. He asks, Did I commit a sin in abasing myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel without cost to you? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in want, I did not burden anyone, for my needs were supplied by the brethren who came from Macedonia. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way, as the truth of Christ is in me. This boast of mine shall not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. So it is not strange if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. We need to be aware that the world's single charge against most TV preachers today is money. People won't listen as sincerely because of this. Thank God there are a few who do preach it. Billy Graham and J. Vernon McGee are among those who never discuss money in their preaching. Their priority is to make the good news known. Now in verse 5, Paul writes, For we never used either words of flattery, as you know, or a cloak for greed, as God is witness. Paul here denies the use of flattering words. What does flattery mean? Well, to us it means insincere remarks. The Greeks meant by that word the use of fair or acceptable words to gain one's own goal or to persuade another person to do one's will. Now Paul also denied that he had a cloak of greed. Now this denotes a pretext to conceal one's real motives. He never said to his audiences, we are going to give you an opportunity to give something to God and then take up an offering. Men do that today, but the preachers of the New Testament never did. That would have been a pretext of covetousness. The greed of men has brought us every possible error and abuse in the Christian faith. Not many religious leaders can say, God is my witness in these matters. Now that's the true test. What does God think of our message? Is it completely true? And have our methods been completely without greed? Are we giving for another's enrichment or are we speaking in order to get something for ourselves? I recently heard of a seminary professor telling his students to get their salary demands high. He said, if a church wants you, they will pay a high price. Now, Paul was different. 
He was a servant, not a professional preacher demanding reimbursement for his preaching. He was a servant to Christ, a bond servant, and he expected nothing in return. So Paul's motives were here without criticism. No one could find fault with Paul. So they had to raise false accusations in an attempt to turn people against Paul. Now there's another way that Paul could have been deceitful. He could have been evangelizing to make disciples so that the many disciples would then be a source of support for him. If he did that, he would have been motivated by greed. Now, men never admit to greed. They cloak it with statements like, we need your letters to stay on the air, or we need your gifts to reach souls. Quite often, Christians come to me and tell me how disappointed and discouraged they are because of the unending appeals for money. If you are in a church where money is not the frequent subject brought to you from the pulpit, then thank God your preacher probably has things in perspective. But that's not the way it is in this world, and the world takes a dim view of the Christian faith because of all the corruption concerning money and greed. Now, in verse 6, Paul disclaims seeking glory. Listen to what he writes. Nor did we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul asked no one to bow before him because he was a real apostle. If Paul were invited to a banquet, he wouldn't seek a place at the head table. He didn't care for man's esteem. He thought only of what God thought of him. And that's a real servant. And you can judge a real servant by that kind of an attitude. In verses 6 through 9 of chapter 2, Paul is expressing his refusal of support. He writes, once again, verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse taking care of her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember our labor and toil, brethren. We work night and day, that we might not burden any of you while we preach to you the gospel of God. Here at the end of verse 6, where Paul writes about how he might have made demands on them as apostles of Christ, he uses that as his transition to the next topic, that of his refusal to accept maintenance and Paul wants to remind them that his team of men avoided obtaining maintenance from those to whom they preached. Paul argues that his manner of life with them proved that money was not his objective. Now, every preacher of the gospel needs to prove this if he would reach maximum effectiveness. Paul claimed a right as an example, but only those who go out as apostles have the right. 
Jesus Christ sent out his twelve, and he gave them the right to live by the gospel. He sent them out to raise the dead, to heal the sick and to cast out demons, not to run churches. Isn't it strange that even good men are deceived into mishandling the word of God for their own benefit? And they take this passage here that Paul had a right to be supported and claim that they too ought to be supported even though they would not claim to be apostles. Yes, the apostles of Jesus Christ were to live by the gospel. That's quite clear from the gospel accounts. Now in the next verse, Paul points out that he and his companions were gentle among the Thessalonians like a nurse taking care of her children. He here seems to speak of the childlike gentleness which he displayed, and then the tender care of a nurse instead of a teacher. He was like a nurse. A nurse seeks not her own comfort, but instead is dedicated to the comfort of the patient. You will never find Paul lording it over the people to whom he preached. He was a servant. He came in humility with genuine love. Well, we'll continue our study next week, and I hope you'll join me here. And if you are blessed by this broadcast, we hope you'll tell a friend. And tell us also. Until next week, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.